and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I'm Drew Scanlon. Danny O'Dwyer is on assignment in Japan for uh, no clip. That is not um, not this speedy race park race car podcast. Uh, so sorry, no witty back and forth uh, banter today, but I shall do my best to um, get us all up to speed for China, which is this weekend. In case y'all ain't heard. Uh, let's see. Uh, Danny is way better at the auditory track walks than me. So, um, I'm just going to point out a couple of my favorite features from, uh, China's Shanghai international circuit, uh, where we are racing this weekend. Um, first of all, uh, it looks like the Chinese symbol Shang, which is not only the first part of Shanghai, but also means high or above, like, like everyone wants to be on the, uh, on the end of, at the end of the day. Uh, secondly, turn one is insane. Uh, it is not the typical rush down to a hairpin situation. Uh, instead, it is a long, tightening right-hander that is almost a spiral, turning it on itself as far as it can until it has to uh, unwind, which essentially kind of creates uh, a yin-yang symbol. So put that on your trapper keeper. Um, Alonzo actually says it's his favorite turn one uh, on the entire calendar, and it's it's not hard to see why. Last year, the cars took this thing at 200 miles per hour. So, uh, it's, it's it should be a good time. <clears throat> good time. Um, it's got two massive straights. The circuit does. Uh, one of them after turn 13 is the longest in F1, uh, and ends in a hairpin that dumps you right into the other straight, which uh, ends in the aforementioned turn one. Um, that's also where the uh, the start finish line is. Uh, fun facts for the Shanghai International Circuit was designed by the ubiquitous Herman Tilke at a cost of $459 million, uh, which, according to ESPN, was, quote, funded by a government-backed joint venture company. Uh, in September 2007, the for- former manager of the circuit, Yu uh, Zifei, was convicted of embezzlement in a corruption scandal, which included several senior Communist Party officials who also lost their jobs. Uh, it apparently cost so much because it was built on what is effectively a swamp, which required Tilka's team to sink hundreds of concrete pillars into the earth. Uh, it's not usually a very well-attended event uh, due to a lack of interest in F1 in the Chinese public, but uh, the circuit has hosted uh, things like MotoGP, the World Endurance Championship, uh, World Touring Car Championship, and V8 Supercars uh, in the past, so... Um, let's talk about tires. So for China, Pirelli is supplying super soft, uh, soft and medium tires. Uh, traditionally China has been a, a high wear circuit, uh, but these tires are much more robust than in years past. So we'll, we'll see if that's even a factor. Um, weather qualifying to, uh, looks to be just balmy at temps in the mid seventies or mid twenties. If you're Celsius nasty. Uh, and clear skies, as clear as they get in China anyway. Uh, on race day, however, temps are looking to drop to around 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 15 Celsius. And we will see overcast skies with wind out of the northwest at 17 miles an hour or 27 kilometers per hour. Uh, and a 35% chance of rain at race time. So who knows? China is always a question mark. Um, on to the news, man, we are burning through this. Uh, 
it seems that despite earlier reports to the contrary, Ferrari reserve driver Antonio Giovinazzi will again fill in for the injured sour driver Pascal Verline. Uh, I thought Giovinazzi did a pretty good job in Australia. Um, he qualified 16th and finished 12th. Not bad considering a, uh, a quarter of the field that didn't even finish the race. Uh, Verline says he wants to be, quote, a, um, uh, he wants to be well prepared for my first complete Grand Prix weekend for the Sauber F1 team. Hopefully this can be in Bahrain, but if not, then we will take the time it needs until Russia to make sure I am completely ready. So, uh, wow. If, if he's thinking Russia, we may have a, uh, an Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick situation here where everyone realizes the replacement is better than the replaced. Um, although that's, that's debatable now, all you San Francisco football fans, uh, or maybe Sauber starts considering just how much they're attached to their other driver, Marcus Erickson, uh, stranger things have happened. Uh, speaking of upgrades, Red Bull apparently has some on the horizon. Uh, Red Bull Motorsport advisor Helmut Marco told Autosport the team is looking to gain some improvements to their Renault powered, uh, Renault provided power unit chiefly before the Round 7 race in Canada on June 11th. Quote, uh, Montreal is the biggest step. Something smaller is coming in Barcelona, but a reasonable step in Montreal. Um, This is from Autosport. Uh, Asked if the French manufacturer's upgrades would be enough to improve um, uh, Red Bull to be back in the fight with Ferrari and Mercedes. Marco said, uh, we hope so if we improve our chassis dramatically as well. Our engineers think so, and the simulations say so also. Uh, I certainly hope they, uh, they do. It was not a great first outing for Red Bull in Australia. And I think everyone would like to see a three-way fight for the top. Um, in, in my perspective and the perspective of most of the racing public, I think the more ambiguity in winners, uh, there is the better. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Gene Haas and friends also didn't have a great Australian GP, especially since, uh, as F1 fanatic reports, Kevin Magnussen retired unnecessarily following his collision with uh, Sauber's Marcus Ericsson on the first lap. Uh, I thought he had retired early in the race, but apparently he had made it up to 15th place with 11 laps to go when he radioed to the team, quote, suspension failure, do you want me to bring it home or stop the car? To which the team responded, uh, stop the car where you are. It wasn't until after the race they discovered it was only a puncture, not suspension failure. Uh, it probably wouldn't have earned him any points either way, but man, I I just want to see those Haas boys do good. Uh, and in other team woes, McLaren apparently had a restructuring recently, which I guess bad news they needed it, but good news they're working on it. I think it was more of a reshuffling than like a mass layoff situation, but um, uh, McLaren racing director Eric Boulier uh, does not have high hopes for China. Uh, quote, this is from racer.com. Uh, Shanghai is known to be an unpredictable weekend for a number of reasons. It's tough on cars, tires, and power units, and the weather is often precarious. But I can predict that we won't be as fortuitous with our pace compared to our rivals as we were in Australia. The characteristics of the Shanghai International Circuit are very different from Melbourne, and its long, fast straights will likely expose the weaknesses in our package more than Albert Park did. However, we will, of course, attack the race with our usual fighting spirit, and the most important thing will be to ensure reliability in both cars before focusing on performance. I like that fighting spirit part. It, uh, it cannot be easy working at 
McLaren or Honda right now. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm pulling for them. Uh, apparently had, we had, uh, quite a race over the weekend in formula E. I didn't catch it live, so I'll have to wait with the rest of, uh, America until the video unlocks on formula E's official YouTube channel, which usually happens about a, a week or two after race day. But, uh, that is not all the formula news this week for already president Sergio Marchioni, uh, Marchioni, Marchioni. Uh, who previously lamented, lamented the strict nature of Formula E's development restrictions, restrictions, told the FIA production auto, quote, we need to be involved in Formula E because electrification via hybridization is going to be part of our future. Hybridization is crucial to Ferrari. There is no denying that regulations put us under pressure, but we could reach those targets in other ways. The challenge is to benefit from hybridization not just in terms of emissions reduction, but also performance. We have already developed a hybrid supercar, La Ferrari, and on future Ferrari models, we will leverage new technologies as well as electrification. I, is that is that what you call uh, putting batteries in a car? Electrification? I don't know. I'm no I'm no doctor. Uh, seeing Formula E grow, um, I think, has been really cool to watch, and, and frankly, uh, the more teams in there, the merrier. Uh, I also think a bigger name like Ferrari would also give the series. Uh, a little more legitimacy, and would likely draw in bigger sponsors. So um, I, I hope they do it. Uh, speaking of Ferrari, in totally dramatic and salacious news virtually unrelated to racing, the UK's independent.co.uk has a story whose headline I will just quote here, Italian police foil plot to steal body of Formula One pioneer Enzo Ferrari. Uh, police arrested 34 people who were apparently plotting to steal this man's corpse and ransom it. So, there's that. Uh, (laughs) in unrelated news, Justin Timberlake, ladies and gentlemen, is in for the Austin Grand Prix. I think this is a great follow-up for, uh, Taylor Swift, especially considering, uh, full disclosure, one of the nights we were in Austin was spent watching the JT Netflix special, and uh, we have no regrets. At least I don't. I don't know what Danny thinks. I thought it was great. Check it out. Uh, also, <laughs> as F1 Fanatic points out, Justin Timberlake, quote, has 80, or I'm sorry, 58.5 million Twitter followers, more than four times the entire F1 grid combined. So uh, I, I think, uh, it was a success with Taylor Swift and, um, I think it'll be even more of a success with JT. Uh, let's see here. F1.com has a cool little video showing just how much, uh, G forces have increased since 2016, which I will link in the F1.cool show notes. Um, it's shown Hamilton going around and comparing what last year's G forces and, uh, this year's G forces were, and they are significantly different. So I, that's, I, I don't know when when they said we're Im- improving downforce. I I always sort of think that these are uh, barely detectable improvements. But when you when you you know go from three G's to six in a corner, it, I mean you can you can feel that. I wonder how many walnuts Alonso can crack with his neck now. Uh, uh, let's see. That's that's all I really have for news. But uh, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, one thing that is bound to be a point of contention this season, and that is uh, something called passing, overtaking. Uh, With one race now under our belts, uh, 
speculations about a decrease in passing have had fuel added to their fire. There was not a lot going on in the Australian Grand Prix. But uh, personally, I don't think passing is really what we're talking about here. Um, what we're talking about is exciting racing. NASCAR, for instance, has a lot of passing, but it doesn't mean much until the last few laps of the race. Um, like I said last episode, soccer doesn't have a lot of scoring, but billions of people still watch it because it's compelling. Um, I may be splitting hairs here, but if you use passing as a stand-in for exciting racing and then dump all your energy to fixing the stand-in, you may not be actually solving the real problem. That's all I'm saying. Uh, regardless, a few articles have come out in the wake of the Australian GP about how to, quote, fix Formula One from this perspective, uh, and they're not totally without merit. So um, this one from ESPN.co.uk quotes uh, F1's managing director of motorsport, Ross Braun, saying, quote, uh, I think we have to recognize these cars are incredibly quick because they use aerodynamics. And if we want cars as quick as this and as spectacular as this, then we can't just turn the aerodynamics off. I think we should embrace aerodynamics, but in a different way. We should work out how we can make the aerodynamics as benign as possible so cars can still race each other. That's never truly been done. We've got cars now with very complicated bodywork structures which create very sensitive flow regimes around the structures, which as soon as they are disturbed by the car in front, suffer. So, can we come up with a set of regulations and a concept where we can still use the power of aerodynamics to give us the speed and the spectacle of the cars, but in a more benign way so that they can at least race each other more closely without having that impact. Well, Ross, it just so happens that IndyCar has struggled with the same problem, and they think they've got a solution. This article here from roadandtrack.com explains the new uh, IndyCar aero changes for 2018, uh, and how they pertain to F1. Uh, some of it flew over my head, but um, it is my understanding from reading this article that one way to diminish wake turbulence but keep downforce is to focus less on the uh, over-the-top, um, like big wings and, and stuff, and, and to focus on the, the underbody. So if you create negative pressure beneath the car instead of pushing from the top, um, and you can you can create negative pressure under there by expediting the airflow. Uh, the car will then uh, stick to the ground. So instead of having these massive wings up on top and all kinds of little warped tabs and flaps all over the place, uh, an emphasis on ground level scoops uh, and um, like underwings uh, may be the way to go. And that seems where IndyCar is going. So uh, maybe Formula One could go that way too. Uh, speaking of downforce, thanks to uh, Justin Wakefield on Twitter. Uh, for sending along an exhaustive article on Ars Technica called Formula One, a technical deep dive into building the world's fastest cars, um, which goes through all kinds of stuff. This guy embedded with uh, with Renault, and it seems like he took a lot of notes. Um, it goes through things like the history of aerodynamics, but also a peek behind the old computational fluid dynamics curtain, um, and he does a really good job, uh, the, the reporter does, of, of putting it in terms I can understand. So, um, or, or getting, like, really cool details. So, for example, uh, quote, each Formula One team is only allowed to use 25 teraflops uh, for double precision, uh, which is 64-bit computing power for simulating car aer- aerodynamics. 
Uh, it's about comparable to 25 of the original NVIDIA Titan graphics cards. Oddly, the F1 regulations also stipulate that only CPUs can be used, not GPUs, and that teams must explicitly prove uh, whether they're using AVX instructions or not. Without AVX, FIA rates a single Sandy Bridge or Ivy Bridge CPU core at four flops. With AVX, it's eight flops. Uh, every team has to submit the exact specifications of their compute cluster to the FIA at the start of the season, and then a log file after every eight weeks of ongoing testing. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that kind of stuff is cool to have in like terms of parts that you can buy off the shelf. Um, maybe I'll hop on Newegg this weekend and build myself a, a CFD machine. Uh, also, one one of my other favorite lines from that article, quote, until recently, Renault Sport Formula One team used a 77,000-lined Excel spreadsheet to track the design and build of the season's new car. So <laughs> I will I will put that in the show notes if you all want to check that out. Emails. F1.cool slash emails. We do not yet have our, our email address fixed. Um, but you can go to f1.cool slash emails and send us a message, which, uh, just forwards to us just the same. So, um, uh, let us know if you got a question or just want to say, Hey, Stephen from Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, writes on the subject of his very first Grand Prix. Um, Stephen's been traveling around Australia for a while and was fortunately in Melbourne while the race was happening. He says, uh, good day drivers. Up until last Wednesday, a few days before practice started in Melbourne, I had a uh, I pretty much decided that I would watch the, watch the race in a public space on a big screen. That was until I heard the roar of engines hurtling around the track on Wednesday evening from my bedroom was, window. Uh, I think they had old model F1 cars doing some TV promo work on the track, and the noise got my adrenaline pumping. I instantly bought a ticket for race day. Here's my first experience as a first-time race attendee for anyone else thinking of going to their nearest Grand Prix this season. Within minutes of entering the track area, I was amazed at the scale of the event. Approximately 100,000 people attended the Australian Grand Prix, and it shows. Uh, There are hundreds of exhibitions and interactive pop-up booths around the track, including areas to test your tire-changing pit stop skills on full-size replicas. Uh, side-by-side simulators with moving chairs and wheels to drive around the Albert Park track against other racers, VR spaces with 360 views from an F1 cockpit, and, of course, 1,000 different places to buy beer. I arrived about five hours before the race and had plenty to keep myself entertained. I even spotted Sir Jackie Stewart, Max Verstappen, and Daniel Ricciardo wandering around amongst the fans, chatting and posing for photos. Uh, The race was started itself on a bit of a downbeat note, with Ricardo having to start from the pit lane. Uh, the crowd were jumping on their feet when he emerged, however, which was cool. I was situated right by the pit exit slash first corner, which was truly an amazing experience on lap one. Worth the entry fee alone. Uh, my trepidation around the spectator aspect of it was unnecessary in the end, as there were tons of big screens and radio commentary broadcast around the track to keep you involved in the race. Lap lap after lap, as the cars got faster and faster, the noise as they zoom by is indescribable. You really develop an appreciation for how quick and finely tuned these machines are and how dangerous the crashes can really be. Fettel obviously won comfortably in the end, however. What amazed me was that within two minutes of him crossing the finish line, I was running up the grid myself alongside thousands of others desperate to get pictures of the celebration. I even got to stand on pole position. It was a day that I'll never forget, and I will absolutely be attending another race in the future. I even picked up uh, my own piece of shredded tire rubber from one of the turns as I drove 
uh, as I had done a track walk around the circuit on my way out. F1 rules. Thanks, lads. Steven. Uh, Yeah, I think Steven's uh, comments here echo a lot about what Danny and I uh, had found in Austin, which was, man, it's just cool to see the cars in person. It's, it's kind of like seeing a famous, I mean, you are seeing famous people and they're, they're in really, really fast cars. Um, also when it's, when it's just, when you're there, the cars, like it's, it's actual physical matter traveling at that speed. And it's, it's something that you can't really get, um, on TV. Uh, also Steven, I think, uh, you, <laughs> you were surprised at how fast you were running up on the starting grid because they opened the doors <laughs> too early. So, uh, that sounds awesome. I, uh, I would love to go to another GP. Uh, and this email from Tyler in Janesville, Wisconsin, um, on the subject of potential American drivers. He says, speedy race car commentators. I just finished watching my first complete Formula One race. I've been an NASCAR fan for a number of years and have always wanted to get into Formula One, but never found a good way to go about it. Your preseason primer was the perfect introduction, and I was able to thoroughly enjoy the first race with a good understanding of what I was watching. That is awesome to hear. Thank you very much, Tyler. Um, I was also, I, or I was able to pick up on drivers that I had become interested in following by watching the first race and look forward to continuing to follow those individuals. However, I couldn't help but think it would be awesome to have an American driver to follow and cheer for. I agree. Uh, are there currently any American drivers in the lower tiers of Formula One? If so, uh, do any show potential for breaking into the big leagues? Sorry for the baseball reference. You're forgiven. Uh, thanks for the great content, and I look forward to following the season along with you guys. Uh, this, I got led down a rabbit hole after this question, so um, here's what I found. Uh, so to to race in F1, we've talked about this before, you need to have accumulated enough uh, FIA super license points, um, which are given by the FIA uh, based on your performance in other racing championships. So generally, they're more... More points are given the closer the series is to F1 in similarity. Um, F1 Fanatic tracks them every year, saying, like, here are the drivers that have uh, the super license points to get into F1, or, yeah, to get into F1, um, and who who's who's just out of contention. But uh, uh, according to them, only one American driver could have qualified for F1 in 2017, and that would be Alexander Rossi, who, in fact, drove in five F1 races for Manor Marussia in 2015. Uh, the next closest driver is Graham Rahal, having earned nearly half of the required points for his fourth and fifth place finishes in the 2015 and 2016 IndyCar championships. Um, I also checked the traditional farm system, uh, that being the newly renamed Formula 2 and the various flavors of Formula 3, and found that uh, among all those, only two Americans, both in the British Formula 3 championship um, are currently racing Chase Owen and Cameron Das. Uh, however, there is also a newly formed Formula 4 U.S. championship, which started just last year, that will start uh, in 2017 this weekend. Uh, they will be racing at Homestead Miami Speedway in Miami, Florida. Uh, if anyone knows of a way to watch this, please let me know. Uh, their their website is Formula or uh, F4USChampionship.com, and I will link it in the in the show notes. There are 24 American drivers uh, in that will start in in that race. Um, their their website actually is 
is is funny because it's geared toward less toward fans and more toward hey you should enter uh your team in this in this new racing series they have got like pdfs on their site um about how much it costs to field a car so naturally i did some calculations uh and if any of you guys have an extra uh two hundred thousand dollars laying around uh i'll be your driver that's it for emails we are on twitter you can follow at Shift F1 Podcast for show updates and any fun F1 stuff we run across. Uh, I am Andrew Scanlon. He is at Danny O'Dwyer. Shouts out this week to uh, Dare Donner, Tony, and Mark Monaghan, who sent us an excerpt from uh, comedian Bill Burr's podcast that gives a surprisingly great recap of the Australian Grand Prix. Um, I will link that in the show notes as well. Uh, shout out also to Ed Pegum who pointed out, uh, the reason that, that two drivers could get out of the gravel in the Australian Grand Prix, uh, is the higher ride and barge board height this year, which makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Ed. Uh, also thanks to everyone who's sent us logo submissions. We've got a lot of great stuff to, uh, to choose from. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to picking some stuff. I'm, I'm sick of my temp art already. It's been like two episodes. I'm sick of it. Uh, and now let's see, I, I can't do it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll defer to Danny's race around the world. Maybe we'll have him do it twice next time. Uh, but the WRC is in Corsica, France for the, I'm not making this up, the Che Guevara energy drink tour de course. Ah, stranger than fiction. Uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is in Long Beach, California for the Bubba Burger Sports Car Brand Grand Prix. Virgin Australia supercars are at Simmons Plain Raceway in, I'm going with Launceston, Tasmania, Australia, for the Tire Power Tasmania Super Sprint. The World Touring Car Championship is at Circuit Moulay El Hassan in Marrakesh, Morocco, for their opening rounds. Uh, IndyCar is also in Long Beach, California, for the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. MotoGP is at Autodromo Termas de Rio Hondo in Santiago del Estero Province, Argentina. For the Grand Prix Motul de República Argentina. I should learn Spanish. Super GT is at Okoyama International Circuit in Mimisaka, Okoyama Prefecture, Japan. Maybe Danny can stop by. Uh, NASCAR is at the Texas Motor Speedway. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Without a non-American in the room, it just I just I just roll right into it. NASCAR is at the Texas Motor Speedway in Fort Worth, Texas, for the O'Reilly Auto Parts 500. It's very Irish. And finally, Formula One, everyone. These are Pacific times here. It's another early one or late, I guess, depending on your perspective. Uh, but everything is moved up a day, just like Australia. Free practice one is this Thursday, April 6th at 7 p.m. Pacific time. You can watch that on the NBC Sports Network app. Free practice two, same day at 11 p.m. on NBC Sports Network. Free practice three, also on the app, is Friday, April 7th at 9 p.m., followed by qualifying at midnight Pacific time on NBC Sports Network. And finally, the race Saturday, April 8th at 11 p.m. M. Driver standings, we read them last time. Nothing has really changed. Fettel out in front, followed by Hamilton, Botas, Raikkonen, Verstappen, Massa, Perez, Sainz, Kafiat, and finally, Ocon in 10th. Everybody else got zero. Uh, teams, 
Ferrari is ahead. It still sounds weird to say uh, in 2017, but uh, they are ahead with 37 points. Right behind them is Mercedes with 33, followed by Red Bull with 10, Williams with 8, Force India with 7, Toro Rosso with 6, and everybody else has 0. As always, you can find our show notes on f1.cool, along with how to subscribe via RSS, iTunes, and yes, Google Play. We're there, all you androids. Until next time, I am Drew Scanlon. He's Danny O'Dwyerson. If you want to support us, we're both on Patreon. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. <laughs>